You're listening to the Oxfam podcast, the show where we share our learning and knowledge with the sector. So you can hear how we work, how we think, and why we do what we do. Remember, you can subscribe to us on all your usual podcast providers. Welcome to the Oxfam podcast. Today's episode is about how we measure resilience in our impact evaluations. We'll be diving into the challenges we face, what resilience means, and go through the approaches we have used. I'm Anya Gaboon. I'm a Global Mel Advisor, Conflict and Fragility at Oxfam. I've worked in Monitoring, Evaluation, Accountability and Learning, MEAL, and a variety of Oxfam country offices where we implement resiliency programming, including countries affected by conflict and fragility. And I'm Alexia Pretari. I am a Global Advisor in Impact Evaluations at Oxfam. And so as part of my role in Oxfam, I have focused on impact evaluations of projects aimed at building resilience as part of our effectiveness review series. And hence, I have had to ask myself how to measure resilience. Just on that note, how exactly do we measure resilience? So Oxfam defines resilience as the ability of women and men to realize their rights and improve their well-being despite shocks, stresses, and uncertainties. This is how uh, it is defined in The Future is a Choice, which is Oxfam's framework for resilient development. And so given how broad this concept is, uh, one may ask, can we really measure resilience? And I think the approach we've followed uh, since 2012, which is when we've started uh, uh, asking ourselves measurement question around resilience, is that we've used a characteristics approach. So that's based on a paper from John Tweed in 2009. And the idea is actually we're identifying characteristics that we are assuming will affect how well an individual uh, household or community will be able to cope with shock, stresses, uncertainties. And so for the sake of simplicity, we do talk about measuring resilience, uh, but really what we do in some ways, is characterizing resilience or resilience capacities. One thing to mention is that Oxfam has worked on this measurement question as part of the effectiveness reviews uh, series that started in in 2012 for the the resilience uh, building initiatives. And this was at the time where the organization started adopting a broad understanding of resilience, but the concept and our frameworks have evolved. So Anya, as male advisor uh, in settings where conflicts are ongoing or in fragile environments. Could you tell us about how you've seen the concept being used and why? So in humanitarian context, we are facing increasingly closed spaces and increase of breaches of IHL, uh, international humanitarian law, and protracted crises. We're seeing increasingly humanitarian crises as being prolonged and protracted as opposed to kind of single one-off conflicts. What it means is that we need to address root causes of humanitarian crises, uh, root causes at the local, national, and global levels, including the failure of development as a whole to address the needs of chronically poor communities. So climate change is important for why resilience matters uh, as it poses both uh, a constraint possibly or opportunities or an increased challenge in certain environments. So we need to better understand how exactly it's impacting or affecting the communities that we work with in those contexts. Similarly, we've seen Emma Fanning and Jessica Fullwood-Thomas recently published a paper on the Nexus approach, which is about combining uh, humanitarian, long-term development, peace, and influencing as a kind of one Oxfam strategy, but 
instead of just focusing on all these different approaches, it's about having kind of a holistic understanding of the different challenges that we face or the ways in which we adapt programming to the context that we're dealing with. That way, if there's a macro level shock, but micro adjustments or micro shocks that affect different people, I'm sure we'll get into this after, but the nexus ensures that we view it holistically. Similarly, I know that we've done a lot of thinking around resilience capacities. So at the core of the resilient development framework, there are three capacities of resilience. So the idea is really to move from dependencies to building capacities at different levels um, in the system. So from the individual to the higher level system change. And these capacities are absorptive, adaptive and transformative. So absorptive is really this idea that, let's say, an individual will be able to bounce back from a shock. Adaptive is about proactively adapting to uncertainties and change. Uh, and transformative is about tackling root causes of inequalities. And I think one of the specificity uh, of Oxfam in the way we understand resilient development is this third capacity, this transformative capacity, and the fact that the three capacities are working together. Um, the capacities or in some ways, or an intermediate outcome. The final outcome would be resilience, so that's about realization of well-being and rights, mm-hmm. um, because we have this very entrenched rights-based approach, but the capacities are kind of the intermediate outcome. So, Alexia, you mentioned previously that the team has been working on the measurement question in 2012. How do you think the measurement approach has changed or evolved? The first thing I should probably say is that the measurement approach uh, I will dive into now is was really done as part of this effectiveness review series, which are impact evaluation. So what we want to do is being able to deep dive at a moment in time into the impact of program or project. And we want to have a framework, a common framework and a common approach across, across each evaluation, while still then being context specific. A few things have stayed consistent since 2012. The first thing is the characteristics approach that I mentioned earlier, which is that we will identify characteristics of resilience uh, uh, in each dimension. So when we started, we were working with five dimensions of resilience, and now we're focusing on the three capacities of resilience. The second thing that, that stayed consistent since 2012 is we've adopted a multidimensional approach to characterizing resilience using the Alkiri Foster method, um, which was developed by the Oxford Poverty and Human Development Initiative. In this method, there are three key points. I'll, I'll just go very quickly through them. One is we identify indicators per dimension. The second one is we identify a threshold for each indicator. So the indicator will take the value one if the characteristics is associated with, let's say, the ability to cop, if we are looking at absorptive capacity. Um, and the third part of this method is to aggregate the indicators. So we end up having a share of indicators which score positively. And the last point that I've stayed consistent since 2012 is taking this holistic approach. So in the setting of our impact evaluations, we know that some, you know, resilience is a broad concept. We will use indicators that help us characterize resilience. Some will be related to the project logic, some won't be. And this is really to be able to not only focus on project logic, but really having this broad understanding of resilience. So it sounds like the holistic approach is really key then and integral to the way in which we're measuring things. 
With the effectiveness reviews, evaluations are carried out every year, you had mentioned, with a similar focus but in different contexts. What are the implications for the measurement approach? So yes, by the nature of the effectiveness reviews and its repeated nature, uh, it leads us to challenge the measurement approach and to refine it. And so the effectiveness reviews focus on a few thematic areas, and this is very similar in niche thematic areas. And I will just direct to a few, um, two papers in particular. One is by uh, Rob Fuller and Jonathan Lane, uh, published in 2015, in which they reflect on the measurement approach used to date. And I think one thing uh, that uh, is key in this paper, among other things, they highlight the importance of cross-scale measurements in resilience. Although I just want to highlight that we have similar conversations in the other thematic area as well. And the other paper that I wanted to highlight is uh, a meta-analysis done by the same authors, uh, Rob Fuller and Jonathan Lane in 2017. Because we give this measurement approach um, consistent, although context-specific, uh, we are able to then look at all the studies uh, all together through meta-analysis. They did one in 2017 and they explore in it not only impact questions, but also measurement questions. And I think uh, one really key point is they highlight the need to better characterize capacities of resilience and in particular the transformative capacities moving forward. I just want to come back to your point about the cross-scale measurement. It sounds really integral to a lot of what you're discussing. Why is it so important? And how did the team integrate this point in the measurement approach? That was one thing that you said earlier when you were talking about like your experience as a male advisor and as a male advisor. You know, the, just the, the fact that shocks by themselves can happen at different levels uh, and impact different people differently. And I think on this, we followed two papers by Christophe Benet one published in 2015 and one in 2018. And yeah, the rationale is really to recognize that the multi-layered nature of vulnerability. So following one, one paper uh, of Christophe Benet in 2018, he highlights that little was done at several levels simultaneously. So over the years, we've been more and more explicit about taking into account both the individual and household levels in our measurement approach. And the assumption here is that both will matter for, for resilience capacities. I agree with that completely. I think aside from individual and household level differentiation, it's also important to focus on gendered differences. So women, men, girls and boys have different experiences of risks. Uh, there's a notion of differentiated vulnerability. So exposure to different risks and also how we experience or how different groups of people experience different risks. Yes, 100%. And I think for us, uh, as part of the effectiveness reviews, it's been, it's been really important to take this point into account in the measurement approach. Resilience is about addressing root causes of vulnerability. So if we're gender blind, then we're, we're not addressing these root causes. Evaluation is also about giving visibility. So um, it was really important to integrate this point. Taking gender justice into account our, in our measurement framework was also about allowing us to look at uh, potentially differential impacts for women and men. And another aspect that led us to uh, focus on this, in, uh, the measurement approach, uh, was an interest in the sector around subjective resilience. So there's a paper by Jones and Tanner that was published in 2015, for example. The way one perceives uh, their ability to cope with a shock will influence the way they will actually cope with that shock. 
as soon as you start asking in our framework so, such subjective question, to me, it's really related to the subjectivity of who, who are we talking about. I mean, one aspect of who are we talking about is gender. It's really interesting to hear how much thought has gone into all the different dimensions of understanding gender justice and resilience. What approaches have you tried? So the first thing we we've tried was using a methodological sense maker by which you ask people to share short stories and then you ask a couple follow-up questions that they have to self-signify their own stories using these questions. It was characterizing resilience for women and men and then we combined this with uh, a household level multidimensional index of resilience capacities. And then we worked on two different evaluations by which we had the household level index, but taking into account characteristics of two individuals in the household. So that would be women and men, main decision makers of that household. And the last approach, which is the one we're rolling out now, is an individual level index, uh, which is taking into account household level characteristics, because both individual and household level characteristics matter. Uh, but where we uh, vary the gender of the respondents, so we are basically asking formation for uh, men or women in a given household. I think that's incredibly important, and, and it seems like it's a challenge to the paradigm of just asking a standard household survey, for example, um, and really testament to a lot of the thinking that you've done on gender justice and resilience. But in practice... What has all of this meant? As in, could you maybe give a more specific example of the last evaluation that you worked on? So the last effectiveness reviews um, about a resilience building initiative that we worked on was on a project in the West Bank in Palestine. So the gender focus in the methodology meant two main changes in, in the design. One is, who do we talk to? And this, this is about sampling strategies. So in this case, we, want, we wanted to focus on main decision makers within the household. Um, so we introduced random variation as per who to survey within the household. But we also took into account the sensitivity in this context. So women were interviewed by women because it was actually quite difficult uh, to interview women in this context. So sampling strategy, who do we talk to, is the, the first um, yeah, the first adaptation that is really key to integrating gender justice in our approach. The second one is what do we take into account in our measurement framework? So when we do the effectiveness reviews, we always, there's a lot of work that goes into understanding the context to identify what resilience capacities mean in a specific context. So in the setting of this work, uh, we did this with Oxfam and partner. Uh, we also sometimes carry out focus group discussions to better understand what resilience means and potentially what resilience means differently for women and men. So that seems like quite substantive adaptations that you made in that effectiveness review. What have been the limitations of doing this approach and what are some of the future developments that you'll integrate into future effectiveness reviews or impact evaluations? Both limitations and future development actually is that we have to keep improving our understanding of the capacities of resilience. And this is both in our programming uh, and in the setting of evaluations and how to characterize this. But also, I think uh, there, there could be potential analysis that we could carry out comparing 
with the data we already have comparing the household level measurement versus the individual level one. So I think in the sector, there is a tendency to focus on household level. Although things are changing and more and more people are taking about or talking about equity in our meal framework, in our evaluation. With the data that we currently have, we could look at uh, who is rendered invisible by the focus of the household level. So in terms of the measurement approach itself, I think there are a few a few things. Uh, one is around the weighting of indicators. So once we've identified all these indicators, we aggregate them in this multidimensional index. And so far we've used a, a very simple aggregation method, meaning that we give the same weight to each indicator. And I think there's a, you know, kind of, key question there, which is what matters to who? And we're basically in the measurement approach, we're currently assuming that each indicator matters the same for everyone. I will refer to ongoing work uh, led by Simone Lombardini and Natalie Queen. So this is this participatory women's empowerment index. So it's asking all of the respondents which uh, in the setting of women empower, uh, women's empowerment, which characteristics of women's empowerment matter most for them, means more that a woman is empowered in that case. So I think there's something there that we could definitely uh, use for this approach. Yeah, so it's very related in, in the questions around power in evaluation. And yes, ultimately, currently, the identification of indicators, the setting of thresholds is mainly by myself, uh, uh, with contribution from Oxfam partners, sometimes with also a contribution from the uh, national consultant that we work with. Um, so how can we uh, actually make this identification of indicators much more participatory, uh, engaging uh, the people we work with much more in the process if they are interested in engaging? I think it's important You've highlighted, for example, the idea of leaving nobody behind and also integrating power and evaluations. I think it's important also to recognize that measurement in and of itself is not a neutral act. It is political. And as you said, whose voice matters or is represented in how we're measuring uh, is of equal importance to what we get in the end. I think there's a lot of discussion around, you know, rigorous data or sound data quality but what does sound data quality mean to the communities we work with, for example? Yes, and I think in on um, you know on on this line of being more political within our evaluations, to me there's one one aspect that I'd be interested in uh, you know developing uh, in in the resilience effectiveness reviews is better taking into account intersectionality. I think for this matter, Oxfam's emphasis on transformative capacity in, in the resilience framework is actually a really good entry point to be more political and to also kind of force ourselves to talk about power, uh, do more power analysis, including in our measurement approaches. Uh, and another aspect I think which we haven't touched on so far is around you know, so going back to the uh, cross-scale measurement approach, we focus on individual and household, but by this focus on the individual and household, we integrate some elements of higher level change, including social norm, for example. But I don't think we've done good enough job at integrating the environment and the natural resources, but also higher level changes, formal higher level changes, like changes in law uh, and regulations, for example. So that's potentially areas of development.
Tanya, I also wanted to ask you a question. Um, so one thing we've talked a lot is the fact that building resilience for an organization like Oxfam is also about being a better partner and changing the relationship with the people we work with. Uh, since you've joined, I think you've been working on, I mean, in general, the importance of accountability mechanisms. And in particular, uh, you've been leading on this for our strategic evidence framework. So could you tell us a bit more about, about this? Definitely. I think this question of accountability links to what you were saying before about leaving nobody behind and the principle of nothing about us without us. Our accountability work is already existing in a lot of the places that we currently work with, a testament to the work being done by projects like Your Word Counts with Emily Tomkis Valteri and the work of the global humanitarian team led by Carly Sheehan. So we wanted to identify the most relevant questions that measure consistently across the effectiveness reviews and impact evaluations, how accountable Oxfam and the partners that we work with are to the communities and project participants that we work with. So we wanted to measure specifically on the feedback mechanism side. So there's five dimensions of accountability that we work on as Oxfam. And I won't go into participation, for example, or transparency, but specifically on the feedback mechanism, we wanted to measure, for example, how aware communities are of the feedback mechanisms, how comfortable they feel using them, and also on the other side, how Oxfam or partners are responsive to the feedback that they receive. Yeah, and this this is critical. And the idea would be, to so pilot it this year in the effectiveness reviews and potentially roll this out as part of our meal framework. So you mentioned the meal framework. I think it's important also for us to reflect on the differences, for example, between measuring resilience in a meal framework versus in an impact evaluation format, as they'll have different constraints and requirements. Yes, absolutely. And the measurement approach that I just talked about um, was really it was really developed in the setting of this deep dive impact evaluation. Among uh, M&E practitioners in resilience, there's a lot of discussions around the frequency of uh, you know how we can monitor the building of resilience capacities. And of course, there is a trade-off between you know the frequency of it and survey fatigue from from respondents that we have to take into account. But what will be also critical from from a meal framework perspective would be to actually monitor the shocks, the stressors, the impact of the climate crisis, because they will impact the capacities of resilience. Definitely. And I think there's a strong link to be made as well, as you were mentioning, between these resilience capacities and having very strong, grounded contextual understanding and knowledge integrating things like conflict sensitivity frameworks in conflict settings or climate change frameworks, ways in which we can monitor high-level changes as well as household or individual, or basically just ensuring that we're adaptable and flexible while integrating these multi-variable issues. Perfect. Thank you so much for everything that you've covered. Thanks so much, Anya. And I think we're going to have to end it here, but thank you listeners for listening to our show. Uh, We hope you found it interesting and useful for your work. Take a look at this page for more information on where to find all the wealth of resources we've talked about. And if you want to hear our next show, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast on all major podcast providers. Thanks again.